Hey everyone, I'm Amy Barajas and this is the NICU Family, a podcast dedicated to families that are going through the NICU experience. Through this podcast, I hope you find support, community, and hope by connecting you to other families that have been in your shoes. Hey, Nikki family. Welcome back to today's episode. Today, our guest is Jeanette, and she will be telling us the story of Amaris. Jeanette is my cousin, and she has the cutest little girl that has shown to be a warrior. So I'm really excited for you to hear her story. Welcome, Jeanette. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Okay, so why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about you and your family? So my name is Jeanette Gonzalez. I have three boys. I have a 17-year-old. I have a 9-year-old and a 7-year-old. And I have one baby girl. That's my miracle baby. And she is two years old at the moment. I've been married for seven years, but I've been in a relationship for 13 years with my husband. And um, we're happily married, and I'm very, very happy that we finally um, got granted us to have our little miracle girl. Okay, so let's start off with your pregnancy. Did you have any complications or were you aware that you were going to have a baby that was in the NICU before you gave birth? Yes, yes. Um, my, um, my pregnancy started pretty rough. They had already told me since the beginning, I want to say probably when I was 18 weeks pregnant, they had told me that my baby wasn't growing, and they they didn't know what it was. They gave me diagnosis after diagnosis, so I it was pretty, it, it was a pretty difficult pregnancy as from the beginning because they really didn't know what they were dealing with, and they were just throwing different types of diagnosis out there. One of them was Down syndrome, one of them was um, IGUR, meaning it's like um, growth restriction that your baby's not growing. And they really wanted to do different types of um, different type of testings, but um, they were really they were really delicate because coming from um, that I delivered most well most of my babies were born premature. Um, it was going to be really difficult if I went on and got the got one of the um, tests that they wanted to offer because there was a high chance of me losing that pregnancy. So did you decide to do the test or did you pass on it? No, I decided to pass on it and I decided to um, just continue with my faith. And regardless of any diagnosis, um, I had already, me and my husband had already decided and had said that regardless of any type of diagnosis, we were going to keep the pregnancy as long as there was a, a heart still beating inside of me. So that's one of the things we had already agreed. So even if they would have told us whatever diagnosis would come up, we were still going to keep our pregnancy. My husband was there supporting me and, and, you know, giving me, giving me, instead of me sharing my faith with him, he was actually sharing a lot of that faith that I wasn't, like, really believing, that I wasn't seeing. And really that's what faith is all about, that you have to, you you won't see the outcome. It's like walking blind, basically, and not knowing what's on the other side. But that's when I really had to, like, really grab on to, you know, the hand of the Lord and really, really just have that faith and, and just pray, prayers, prayers, because it, it was really hard. It, it wasn't an easy decision, and it wasn't an easy pregnancy, but, I mean, I'm glad that I had that support 
that my husband was there for me and um, that I was able to share with um, with a lot of people. And they that we had so many people praying during my pregnancy, praying for Amaris. And mm-hmm. it, it, it was amazing that I had that support system. Yeah, I remember when you were going through that, you, you made a prayer, uh, a prayer page on Facebook, right? Yes. Yeah, I remember that because I was part of that prayer page. And, yeah, you had so many people that were walking along with you in that journey. And when you were pregnant, did you have any symptoms, like any difficult symptoms throughout your pregnancy? No, I didn't have any, like any, I, I mean, I did have to bed rest. They did tell me to bed rest. I actually had um, gestational diabetes, which is quite normal when you're having, like, your either a second pregnancy or third pregnancy. But other than that, I mean, they just told me that I had to pretty much just take it slow because they, they really didn't know what they were dealing with. Um, so one of the diagnoses that I was given um, was at 12 weeks when they had told me that um, there was a possibility that it came out positive that my daughter was going to have neural tubal defects. But the thing with those testings is that there's a lot of false um, positives. So they weren't really quite sure if that was going to be the case with Amaris. So mm-hmm. they ha- they wanted me to take there's a, a test that they're able to check you through your belly button, but that's really that's a really um, complicated procedure that they do because there's a chance that you could lose um, that pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So did you decide to pass on that test, or did you actually take that um, procedure? Um, well, I I passed on that procedure, but I did take the test before that, which was at 12 weeks, and mm. they told me that they weren't going to be sure until probably about 20 weeks when they were able to check um, my baby's back and neck, lower spine, Mm -hmm. to make sure that wasn't the case. And moving fast forward at 20 weeks, that's when they seen that they said they ruled out neurotubal defects, but they were still thinking maybe Down syndrome, and they wanted me to to take other other tests like um, blood work, and, and that's when they wanted me to to really lean towards that um, that shot that goes in your belly button, which which I declined as well. Wow. Okay. That must have been a hard decision. But I think at the end of the day, you know what's best for your baby and for your own body. And then especially talking with your husband and having so much faith, um, it was probably that you knew the right decision. Yes, definitely. And um, as far as other complications that I did have, I did have a hyper... I had a hyperthyroid, so I think that didn't make quite things better, but um, that was another sort of complication that I had during my pregnancy. Yeah, and because of these these issues that you were having, is that what caused the the pregnancy to be premature, like the baby to be premature, or that was another issue along with the defects that they were saying that the baby was going to have? Um, the, the issue that we ended up finding out because they took my placenta to get, um, tested when I had Emirates was, um, they said that it was, um, growth restriction. So basically mm-hmm. my, my daughter wasn't getting enough oxygen flow and enough nutrients for her to grow inside of me. So they told me that the best day to deliver a baby for a high chance of survival was 27 weeks. So when they told you that, how did you feel or... I mean, that's like, that's scary knowing that, you know, how how long, how far along were you with your other children? 
Um, with my other children, I had them. My two oldest ones, I had them uh, right about 34 weeks, went on 35 weeks. So they weren't, they were they were technically premature, but I was able to take them home like a natural, natural birth. They didn't have to stay in the NICU. And then I have Mason. Mason was born at 32 weeks and he spent one month in the NICU. So I already had that NICU experience, but it wasn't as it wasn't as hard as Amaranth because with Amaranth's case it was more you can say more delicate. So now, once you gave birth, um, you knew that the baby was going to be in the NICU, or did you have? Were you hoping to still be able to carry it, or like what knowledge did you have about the baby going into NICU once she was born? Well, um, right about. 18 weeks when I started having the complications, 18 to 20 weeks, they had already told me, like, hey, pretty much um, we're going to have to be checking you every week, and if your baby's not growing, then we're going to have to have to start um, making decisions. So pretty much I had to take it on a on a weekly basis, and and pretty much I, have, I had to hold on to that faith every week that I would go see my maternal specialist because um, he was the one that was pretty much checking my ultrasounds and making sure that everything was okay with the baby. But coming um, to 23 weeks, that's when we really had the conversation that the doctor had to, had to tell me. And it was hard for him and it was hard for me because um, this was the day before my graduation. I was going to graduate. Well, I graduated again. I got my AA in child development. And it was right before my graduation day. And the doctor told me, like, you know what, we have to make a decision now. It's um, whether you want to have your baby now or, or I could sign over paperwork. And since you're measuring smaller, he told me that he had to let me know that, that this was going to be long-term with disabilities with my daughter, being that all of these issues were already going on. So he was leaning more towards abortion. And that's when I really just, like, I oh. I couldn't take the news. I really couldn't take the news. It was really hard on me. My husband was just holding my hand, and um, and that's when um, my husband just looked, looked to me, and he just told me, like, like pretty much, like, whatever you do, it's your decision, right? But um, that's when we said, like, like, can we have a minute? And we, the doctor stepped out of the room, and my husband and I were talking, and he's like, you know, I told my husband, like, hey, there's still a heart beating. I don't believe in abortions because of my faith, I said. And I really believe that, you know, if God is still, God is still conserving my pregnancy and if we could still hear a heartbeat, if I could still feel my baby moving inside of me, that means there's life there. So I told Mm -hmm. him, like, like, we're not, we're not going to go with whatever decisions the doctor is making because I told him we serve a higher, a higher doctor that has all the answers. And if we put all our faith and all our hope in him, you know, then nothing is impossible. And he just hugged me and said, and said, you know, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. He just told me. And, um, and sure enough, the doctor walked in and he, he was even sad. I, I could see it in his face because I told him, look, doctor, I said, um, we have so many people praying for my daughter. We have the church praying for my daughter. I have like, you name it. I said, we have a huge, um, circle of prayer, um, that is, praying for my daughter and as long as there's a heart beating you know we're going to continue with this pregnancy 
And he looked at me and he said, okay, we'll do everything we can to keep your baby inside of you growing and, and we'll take it on one day at a time. So sure enough, um, that's what we did. And one week, 20, 27 weeks was, I guess, the number you can say. And coming that week, that's when he said, you know what? The heart's decelerating. I'm going to have to send you into the emergency room. Things are not looking well. And I think we're going to go ahead and deliver this baby already. And what went so, through your mind when he said that to you? I was I was scared. I was really scared because I was like, wait a minute, 27 weeks. Like, like I know that they said that there's like a, there's that 80% of survival, but my baby wasn't a size of a 26-week baby because when they did measurements, my baby was measuring like four weeks behind. So we were dealing with like a 23-weeker. So um, when he measured the baby, he's like, okay, your baby is about a pound and a half. So I've seen a lot of one pound and a half babies be born and be strong. So we were leaning towards that number saying, okay, you know, the weeks that the baby is, it's a, it's a good number. The pounds it sounds good, but it was still something really delicate, you know, something yeah. really critical. So then you went to an emergency um, delivery, and once the baby was born, did you get to see it? Um, no, that was the, the saddest part. But I knew that my baby wasn't was gonna be in better hands, so they had to take my baby emergency right away to um to the NICU unit. And they took my baby in, and um, they they weighed my baby. And there's a certain weight limit where, so if the baby doesn't weigh 500 grams, they either tell you, would you like to hold your baby, or would you like us to take the baby into the NICU unit? And technically, if you hold your baby and the baby needs, let's say, breathing tubes or any type of help, if you're holding your baby, pretty much your baby you know, could pass away in your own arms. So so you're not I giving think, the baby what it needs in order to survive. Right. So they gave me that option as well before having the baby and after. And I said, no, take the baby in, like, take take him to, take him her to the NICU, to the NICU unit. And that's when oh they took gosh. her. And, yes, they took her. And um, the, do- the nurse that was caring for her, told me a couple of days after that they had to weigh my baby three times because she was measuring 470 grams and the doctor kept on asking weigh her again weigh her again and luckily by the third try which I believe it was the power of prayer she weighed 500 grams but you know now we're never going to know whether you know the what it's right what if my Mm -hmm. baby kept on weighing you know, the 470 grams, would they have gave me my baby, my baby? Or, you know, I'm glad that they made that decision and right away, too, they took my baby in right away to get the help she needed to breathe on her because she couldn't breathe on her own in the beginning. She needed a little bit of support, so they had to take her in right away. Yeah, and so you were conscious and awake during all of this? Yes, I was conscious, and I was able to hear everything they they said that um that my baby cried and my baby sounded like a little kitten and I couldn't hear my baby because I was I mean you could just imagine like emergency C section not knowing whether your baby was gonna live and it was just 
so many things happening at once, but my husband said he was able to hear my daughter cry, and he said mm-hmm. that it sounded really light, that it sounded like a kitten. So once mm-hmm. you um, had the baby and you recuperated, right, and you want to go see her in the NICU, how long was it before you actually got to touch her? Because I'm pretty sure you weren't able to hold her for a while, so how long was it before you got to do some mm-hmm. touch with her? I want to say that um, I was able to hold her until about three weeks after her delivery. I wasn't able to do any of that, um, you know, that mommy bonding that you get to hold your baby close to your heart. I had to wait three weeks to hold my baby. Oh, man. I mean, that's hard because I was able to hold my baby for like a couple hours until I realized that something was wrong and that's when they took the baby away and then it like I think um, two weeks passed, and that was hard. But not being able to hold the baby at all or touch it is just oh, that that breaks my heart. Especially because you know what the like the normal sequence of things is that the baby should be with the mom, right? And you're probably going to give her that skin to skin, that bonding, and you were you weren't able to do that, so you had to kind of find comfort on your own. And um, how were you able to? Keep yourself from unraveling. Well, the only thing that really helped me and really helped me move forward, you can say, or just just um, just continue having my faith is just feeding myself the Word of God. I would open up my Bible and I would just pray about it, pray about it, and God would send me so many Bible verses that really were able to um, help me out throughout throughout that time. And I would take things um, one day at a time because. Most of the times I would just remember, I would think about the future and really like God would remind me like, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. I have this. Yeah. Worry about today. Today has has enough. And that's yeah. really how I was able to put myself together. Mm-hmm. What I also liked about my Nick, you say, is that the nurses there, there's so much support there. And yes, you can't hold your baby right away. You can't, you know, do that bonding. But there's so many different ways that that you're able to do that. Um, for example, what they gave me was um, a little small piece of kind of like it's it's like a blanket and it's in the shape of a heart. So what I would okay. do is that I would hold that and I would put it against my body and that would give the scent of my smell, my mommy smell. And mm-hmm. we would um, I would um, put it on for a day or a couple a couple of hours and then I would take it back to her little incubator and we would place it right next to her so she could smell me at least. Yeah, I, I did the same thing. I was always, you know, tr- trading them out, like, okay, this is old, like, here's a new one, here's a yes. fresh one. <laughs> you yes. know, I wouldn't wear perfume or anything just so they knew yes. that it was me. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then I would do the same thing. I would place one on her, and then I could just smell that beautiful, beautiful baby scent. Like, it was like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, that's my daughter, like, and mm-hmm. that's what I would hold on to as well, like that smell, um, mm-hmm. the Word of God, sharing my my journey with people and getting feedback, having all these people praying for for my daughter and me because, you know, we needed it at that moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I completely, I, I'm, I know what it's like to be in that position, not being able to hold the baby and really bond with your baby, but the fact that you're able to smell your baby and you're able to see your baby, like you find value and you find so much comfort 
and the little things that you never thought of before. But these little tiny things that are huge for babies in the NICU, little tiny milestones that you're like, okay, now you're on room air. Like, that's amazing. Like, now yeah. it's one thing that to check off the list so you can get closer to going home. Now you're eating and now you're, you're increasing in weight and all of these things that, you know, your fever is gone. And I just think that you find comfort in the smallest progress that your baby makes. Oh, yes, yes. Um, right there at the NICU, it's like everything is like, like how you were saying, they go through like so many breathing options that help them live, you know, help, really help them and support them breathe on their own. And then also mm-hmm. like every single ounce counts in there. Every single ounce. I, I remember praying. I'm like, just one ounce, just one ounce, at least something. But mm-hmm. they're so crucial. Yeah. So while your baby was in the NICU, did she go through any, like, infections or any difficulties, or is it once she was out, it was just trying to develop her as much as possible? Um, the main one was trying to develop as much as possible, but um, having a baby or having babies that are born premature, there's so many things that could go on, um, mm-hmm. like ROP, which that's, like, um, part of their vision, brain bleeds which that's part of prematurity. Um, Mm -hmm. She had ROP stage one, meaning that it was like one of the lowest, one of the lowest stages, but they still had to keep an eye on her. So every week they had a, um, I was never there in the, in the testing, but they would tell me that it's, it's pretty, it's pretty bad and they don't have parents in there for the same reason, but I know some parents were there. They basically put a needle inside your eye to check and make sure that everything's developing how it's supposed to. And they would do these on Amaranth every week without numbing. And I could just hear my daughter from, from, I want to say, two rooms down crying and crying. That was one of the hardest um, moments that I experienced there as well, Um, knowing that she had to do these ROP testings weekly until her eyes developed. And um, luckily, she didn't have ROP stage 1 um, at the moment. She just wears prescription um, eyeglasses for being farsighted. But it's also common for a child that's born premature to wear glasses. Another thing that that Amaris went that was really hard was um, she experienced jaundice, but it, it developed to um, something called conjugated hyper... Um, it's called hyperbilirubin. Oh, bilirubin? Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. that's correct. And um, she went through that for quite some months, and they couldn't find medication, and they were thinking it was probably her liver or was probably something else. So she went through different types of x-rays, and um, and they had to do um, MRIs on her. And it was pretty hard not knowing what it was until they were able to find a medication and... um. And this medication helped, I guess, helped it cure it. And what else? She also went through a, a surgery at four weeks old, and that was PDA. Basically, it stands for um, the – she had a hole in her heart, so they had to close it up. And mm-hmm. that was one of the surgeries. that They say it's pretty common, but – the doctor that um, performed the surgery on my daughter told me that she was one of the smallest babies he, he, that he has ever performed surgery on since so she was a one-pound baby. I'm glad that everything went well, and she still has that little warrior scar on her 
that's going to remind mm-hmm. me of, of of our journey for life. Yeah, yeah, definitely something that it's weird because I tell people like I don't want to forget any any of what anything that happened in the NICU because it reminds me of how blessed I am now now that my yeah. baby's home. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, how long was your baby in the NICU? My baby was in the NICU for 99 days. Um, wow. Yeah, 99 long, long days. NICU stays, not only is it, like, draining because it's emotional, but also spending the whole day there. At least we did. We spent eight hours a day at the at the hospital. How was your schedule like when you were... When your baby was in the NICU, what did it look like? Well, coming from, I guess, um, since I had delivered my, my previous baby and he spent a month in the NICU, from that pregnancy, I kind of got that experience, you can say. So mm-hmm. we kind of worked it out during this, this well, our second time staying there that um, we would alternate. And there was days when we had a babysitter, we would go, uh, my husband and I would go in together. And then there was other days that, since they would let our baby, uh, our sons, our oldest sons go in, um, we would take turns as well because they had a little family room. So we mm-hmm. would just take turns basically because we couldn't all be in there like a family since my family yeah. is a little bit bigger. But we would mm-hmm. definitely take turns. But, um, but yes, we did spend quite a lot of time, on, especially that I wanted to nurse my baby and I had to take milk. So we would go probably every... I want to say every four hours. <laughs> we were back and forth since it wasn't that far away from my house. It was oh, okay for us to travel. Yeah, but I know that uh, some other people have it really hard that they have to travel one hour away from from where their daughters or sons are at. And you said you were you were nursing and pumping. Yeah, I was I was trying to nurse, um, but baby, since we didn't get enough of that bonding time. It was very mm-hmm. hard for her to actually, um, for me to nurse, but they would let her nibble on me so she could kind of get used to it and kind of help me with my milk production since it's hard. But um, mm-hmm. most most of my, how I would nurse my daughter was pumping. I had to pump every three hours. Yeah. So, because I'm, I'm still pumping, uh, uh, maybe it was three months, and I'm still pumping. How long were you, did you pump for before you stopped um, giving her breast milk. I pumped for about four and a half months till um, kind of my milk dried up. And I, w- I want to kind of say that it, it was probably due to stress as well. And um, mm-hmm. a lot of, because it, it, it requires so much work, so much work yeah. to pump. And um, if, you know, there's some days that, you know, you're, you just don't feel well and there's no milk coming out, you know, but um, mm-hmm. I did I did um, nurse for four and a half um, months. Well, I mean, I, even those just four and a half months, I think that fact that you were able to still provide your baby with food, I think that that helped her so much to put her best yeah. foot forward in developing and making those brain connections and meeting those milestones. I think that no matter how much you give your baby, the fact that you still tried and you were able to provide her with milk for four months, I think that's huge. Yes, yes, definitely. And, and pumping is so emotional as well when your baby's in the NICU because you know it's not supposed to be that way. I mean, at least for me, it was very emotional every time I would pump. And even now, I sometimes I don't like it because it's just 
emotional because your baby, well, at least my baby's not eating. So he threw a G-tube so he can't eat from me and we can't do any bonding. And then just the machine, I was just like, uh, I don't know. I just, I feel very emotional. I, I feel very emotional when I pump. I don't know if you felt the same way. Yes, I did. I did. There was many times that I cried and I cried while I was pumping because I wished that I was able to, you know, have my daughter at home so I could mm-hmm. actually try to nurse. So it was really emotional. Um, but I'm glad that, you know, my husband was there, you know, to support me and stuff and he would, you know, try to help me to kind of like calm my nerves, you can say, or just like kind of like relax. He would tell me like, okay, go take a warm bath, take an hour bath or, you know, just so you could relax. But it was, it was very draining, very draining because, you know, you're, there's so many thoughts going through your mind, you know, you just want your family together. You just want your family at home. But, mm-hmm. you know, we just have to, when we're in those moments, we just have to think, you know, hey, our baby's in good good hands at the moment and just take it one day at a time and just just um, be happy that we're, that we're able to pump whatever we're able to provide because that's really crucial. That's really good milk that's going into their bodies and that's going to help them thrive. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It does help them thrive and get better. So after graduating from the NICU, how has she progressed? How has she surprised you? Because, I mean, from being less than 500 um, grams to being a, a two-year-old, I've seen her in all pictures walking around, and she looks so cute. Um, what are some of the ways she surprised you the most? Like, what are some emotional moments where you're like, I thought you would never do this, and here you are doing this? Like, what is what does that look like for you? Well, um, honestly, like a lot of people think that um, after the NICU, like after your NICU stay, like it all ends there. Mm-hmm. No, it it continues, it continues. But um, I'm grateful for everything. Uh, um, I never thought that my daughter would walk. You know, I never. Well, they had told me that my daughter was gonna be able to walk, but they told me that it was gonna take some time. My daughter didn't walk till a year and five months, which you know, there's. Um, normal babies, you can say that they walk at a year old and mm-hmm. or a year and a month, you can say. And since I had more kids before that, like I kind of would, would always try to compare. And that's one of the mistakes that I made because every child develops on its, on his own or on her mm-hmm. own at their own time. And um, just seeing her walk was just amazing. My daughter's too... Um, she still doesn't talk yet. She says a couple of words, two to three words. Most most of them are sign language. That's how we're communicating right now. And mm-hmm. um, she does get a lot of therapy. She still gets physical therapy. She gets occupational therapy. She also gets um, an infant specialist um, that comes to the home and helps her develop. She also gets a feeding specialist that comes over and helps her to feed because coming with all the, you know, the intubations from the NICU, she's not able to eat due to sensory issues. So we have a lot of therapy that's going to keep going on for a while until she's able to, you know, eat on her own. Um, The good thing is that she is gaining weight, very slow, but she's gaining the weight. And um, right now she's, she doesn't, eat like your typical two-year-old she mo- most of her food comes from pediasure and mm. and um just small feeds she just eats like a little bird it's like 
small little fee- feeds, but each each um, feeding that she, like, let's just say two spoons are a blessing to us. Two small right. um, children's spoons are, like, a huge blessing. And yeah. that's one thing that we're working on as well. Yeah, yeah. I think feeding is such a hard hard milestone to really get the hang of because you want your baby to eat and gain weight but you can't push them more than what they're willing to to handle you know like like my baby the thing is everything's working fine but because he's not very conscious and not very awake that's why he doesn't eat and because he's already getting all his nutrients from his g-tube he doesn't want to like there's no motivation for him to actually try to feed and suck and do things like that so i think that it's frustrating for for us as a parent because we're just like oh i want you to just eat enough to be able to sustain yourself because you know that's what we want for our children but at the same time we have to really just go at their pace because they are developing as best as they could on their own on their own time definitely yes definitely and that's one thing that i've learned um because coming you know from from a, a special needs mom, because I, I am a special needs mom, you know, you see so many doctors, so many specialists, and it's it's very hard and it's very emotional. But um, I don't take things for granted. Like every single thing that she does is like, it's so amazing to see. And mm-hmm. it gives me hope. It gives me hope. Every little milestone that she meets gives me hope. So what are some ways that this experience has made you stronger and what ways has it changed you? Well, it's it's changed me for the better. Um I the way I look at life is different now. I don't th- I don't take things for granted and it just makes me um realize like how how valuable life is, you know, especially encountering with a miracle like, you know, a lot of people don't believe in miracles and and honestly, Amara is, is a miracle. She's a miracle, and, and I don't take that for granted at all. So lastly, um, what are some resources that have helped you along the way? I know there are a lot of programs for children with special needs. I know therapies can start costing money. So do you have any programs that you've put Amaris in or that you're involved with that, involved with that has helped you um, just meet her needs? Yes, um, one of the programs that has helped me is through regional. So there's different types of local regional centers. And um, the one that's helping us is the regional in L.A. And pretty much they connected us to different to different vendors, which are like the occupational therapies, the physical therapies, and, and so on. And as well as high-risk clinic. Um, I'm, I was being followed up closely with a high-risk clinic. And mm-hmm. this clinic, they connect you to resources. So um, Amherst already graduated from the high-risk clinic at age two, but I would get most of my resources through them because they would do assessments on Amherst. And basically, if she was fi- falling behind in every in any um, milestone or development, they would recommend either give me like a referral or recommend more therapy or um, less mm-hmm. therapy, could go vice versa. And some of the um, resources that really helped me out as well was through Instagram. I follow a couple of pages, and there's one resource that's called 25 and 4, 
which they were amazing. They sent my my little daughter um, a little, her first little preemie shirt that she was able to wear at the NICU, and it was so tiny and petite. And that was um, given through people that give donations. But um, what this project does is that they send out to any NICU mom, they send them out little shirts um, and little hats for free. And then there's another resource that I love that um, really helped me out on Instagram, which is Our Little Preemie. And there's another one called Colorful Beginnings that really helped out. And they're all of, all of the people that, um, that I'm naming here, they either had a child that was born premature or they once were in the NICU. Yeah. So lastly, I just want to ask, what are some prayers or mantras that you repeat to yourself over and over to really help you get through this time? Because um, you have to remind yourself of the bigger picture of God's hand in this. So what are some uh, prayers or sayings or inspirations that you had to repeat yourself over and over to get yourself out of like a funk when you would get in that depression and things like that? Um. Well, really was the Word of God, just opening up the Bible and reading His Word is what would would feed me my faith and my hope. There was also Bible verses that really helped me out during my during my pregnancy and my NICU. One of them is Psalms um, one thirty nine, which is um, a really beautiful um, Bible verse. Also, not. Um, worrying about the tomorrow, that's like one of the biggest ones that really helped me out because we tend to worry about um, a lot about tomorrow when we should only be worrying about like the today and because today has enough of, of its own. So that's another Bible verse that really helped me out. Yeah, you're so right. And um, I I went through the same thing like when they found the brain damage in Luke all I could think of was, like, when is he going to walk? Or, like, when is he going to be able to do this? Is he going to be able to go to school? Or is he going to be able to talk and wake up? And is he going to be able to, like, play sport? Like, I, my mind would go so far ahead. And I would think of, like, his like when he was in college, like, things that were so far ahead that I have obviously no control over or I don't know. And it would just drive me crazy. And I had, I had to tell myself the same thing. And I would go through that same verse, too. Um, to help me just kind of stay focused in the present. Yes, definitely, definitely. That's like one of one of the biggest, one of my biggest fears. You can say just um, ex- experiencing the NICU, but just holding on to the Word of God really helped me out a lot. And you know, it still does today because I mean, um, our journey still hasn't ended. You know, um, Amaris is still learning, and she still has a lot of milestones still to meet. And I have faith that she's going to be able to meet them all and, you know, and she's going to be able to thrive in, in whatever situation it is, whatever diagnosis they're, um, they're going to give me for Amaris, you know, that, you know, I can't worry about the tomorrow. All I can worry about is the today and pretty much just to hold on to the hand of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're so right. That's so true. So now, where are places where people can follow you and kind of, like, follow along with Amaris' journey now that she's older, and how can they connect with you? Um, they could follow me at my um, Instagram page. It's Mrs. G 21 and they could um, request me, and they could follow my journey there. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'll go ahead and add that to the notes on this episode. But thank you so much for, you know, opening up and sharing your story with Amaris. Um, I think people will really find a lot of uh, value in everything you had to say. I think your experience was amazing. You and your family are so strong, and Amaris, I think, has so much to look forward to in life because she's, she's a little warrior. So I think she's going to continue to surprise you and everyone else, including the doctors. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Thank you so much for everything. Um, yeah, one of the one of the another little thing that I want to mention is that both of my doctors that had no faith at all, both of them. Um, one of them was my the specialist. He went to go visit me to my um, when I was staying at, at the hospital. You know, after I delivered, and he went to go give me a big hug, and he told me that he believed in the power of prayer, and that was just amazing because. I know that all of that was God's work, you know, and he gave me a huge hug. And then I had um, my my doctor, um, the one that um, was supposed to deliver Amherst, but since I had an emergency C-section, it was another doctor, both um, husband and, and, um, and wife. Um, I had them call me, and they were just telling me that they were praying for my daughter and that they were just amazed on how um, Amherst was a true miracle. And to me, that's just winnings for the Lord, you know, because without him, my Amherst would have been here, you know, without without the Lord, she wouldn't have been here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's so true. Well, Jeanette, thank you so much for doing the interview. I'm going to continue to pray for you and your family. Thank you, Jeanette, so much for sharing the story of Amaris. I hope you guys enjoyed hearing her story and find value and hope. Join me again in two weeks to hear another story of a tiny miracle. Until then, stay strong and don't lose hope.